in Parshat Kisisa, we have the story of the golden calf, the biblical one, not the one from last week at CPAC, says that, People saw that Moshe was late descending from the mountain, so they mobbed Aaron, Make us an Elohim, an Avodazara, an oracle. We need a golden calf. We need something. So Aaron said, okay. Aaron asked them for jewelry. He doesn't ask for jewelry, their own jewelry. He asks for jewelry from their, their wives, their sons and daughters. Bring the jewelry to me. And the people, they removed the, the jewelry, the earrings, the rings from their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. So there is a major debate among the Mepharshim as to whose jewelry was ultimately contributed. Aaron, for some reason, asked for the wives' and children's jewelry rather than their own, and they brought jewelry. They brought jewelry as Sherba Oznehem, jewelry from their heirs. Whose heirs? Was it their own heirs, or was it the heirs of their wives and children? And if it was their own heirs, as opposed to what Aaron had asked for their own jewelry, then it, 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 as opposed to Aaron who had asked for the wives and children's jewelry, then the question is, why? Why did he, why did they give their own jewelry and not the jewelry of their wives and children? So there, so there are some who learn that it was actually the jewelry of the women and children. Ibn Ezra, for example, Ibn Ezra says, Vayisparaku, the nizmei azav asher ba'aznehem, who's aznehem, who's heirs? Ba'aznei ha'banim ba'habanos ba'anashim ha'nizkarim l'mal. Who's heirs? The heirs of the sons, the daughters, and the women, the aforementioned group. Okay. But there is a whole group of Midrashim and Rishonim that understands the Pasuk to mean that it was their own jewelry that they gave. Their own jewelry, and then the question is why, what happened to the, what happened to the jewelry of the women and children? I should note, before we proceed, in addition to Ibn Ezra, there, are act, there is also actually a shita of the Balaitosis, the Dasikenim Balaitosis, and the Hadarzikenim on Parshas Vayakel. They also learn somewhat like Ibn Ezra, they also learn that the, that, that they also learn that the jewelry was, was taken, that the jewelry was the jewelry of, of the women and children, as opposed to perhaps the better known shot of Chazal and of other Rishonim, that it was the jewelry of the, <clears throat> the men themselves. If it was the jewelry of the men, so why, what happened to the jewelry of the women? So the Targum Yonason, Targum Yonason says, what happened? The women refused. The women were reluctant, were unwilling to give their jewelry to the men, and therefore the men took their own jewelry, apparently, and gave them instead. The women didn't want to. That's why the men had to give their own. Why didn't the women want to? The Tagam Yonason does not say. Rashi, Rashi says something not entirely clear. Rashi says... Forget whether they did or they didn't. Why did Aaron ask for their jewelry in the first place as opposed to the jewelry of the men? Rashi says, Amar Aaron Belibo, Hanashim Bayeladim Chasim Al The women and children, they like their jewelry, they like their trinkets, their toys, they're not going to want to give them up. Shem Aaron was trying to stall, to procrastinate, Aaron was trying to, to delay things. So he, he deliberately chose what he thought would be the rockiest, most difficult route to, put, to pry the jewelry away from the women and children, over their, away from their cold, dead hands. And he hoped and Moshe would return. But Rashi says, Rashi seems to say that, again, people had no patience. They were, they were so mad and desperate to get to the Egel Azov. They didn't wait. They just took their own jewelry and gave them instead. So, so the... So Rashi doesn't say what the women's reaction actually was. Aaron hoped the women would, would be loath to part with their jewelry, and the men did an end run around that by giving their own jewelry. There is, however, a well-known midrashic interpretation. The, 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 there, was a whole, there was a whole school of midrashim, various midrash rabbas, midrash rabba in uh, midbar rabba, shirashirim rabba, um, 
the Pirkei Dribe Eliezer, the Tanchuma. There is a whole school of Midrashim that brings a famous idea that women were righteous and did not want to participate in the sin of the golden calf. Perhaps the most famous formulation is that of the Pirkei Dribe Eliezer. Pirkei says, he begins like Rashi, that the reason Aaron asked for the women's jewelry is because he hoped that that would delay things, that it wasn't going to happen. <clears throat> now the women, the women indeed were reluctant, but not for the reason that, not for the base reason that Aaron had said, because they were possessive of their jewelry. The women had a different reason for not giving the jewelry. The women were righteous. The women said, to make what? You want us to give jewelry for an avodazara, a shikutz, a toeva, an abomination that has no power to, uh, to save us? We're not going to listen. So the women, because of their tidkus, that's why they refused to, to participate in the Egel. And the Midrash says Hashem rewarded them. They got tzchar and elam hazeh and tzchar and elam haba. Tzchar and elam hazeh, that they keep Rosh Chodesh more than the men. And Zechar and Olam Haba, that they're going to have some kind of rejuvenation, like Rosh Chodesh. There's a, there's, a, there's a well-known kind of agadic machshava connection between women and monthly cycles and the moon. Brings the Pasuk into Hillam. Women are going to have some type of spiritual rejuvenation in Olam Haba. But in this world, the Zechar was Rosh Chodesh. That they keep Rosh Chodesh more than men, We'll return to that in a later phase of our share. The Midrash goes on. It says, The men saw the women were not cooperating. So what did they do? So the Midrash says, Until then, men used to wear earrings as well. So the men had jewelry. So they, they took off their own jewelry. The Midrash, as I said, learns that it was their own jewelry, not like Ibn Ezra. The Midrash is Medayak, Asher Ba'aznehem. Ba'aznehem is Shehem, it doesn't say the heirs of the women. Asher Ba'aznehem, their own heirs. The women were refusing to part with their jewelry. The men gave their own jewelry. Just uh, to, to dwell for a couple of moments on the line in the Midrash, the parenthetical comment about, uh, at that time, the men still wore earrings. So I always used to point out that Kipshuto, our Pasuk indicates that men wore earrings. Today, 50 years ago, I should say, in 1950s America or in Haredi society, which in some ways is a throwback to that time, men wearing jewelry is unthinkable. I'm always, uh, I'm always, uh, I always have consternation when I read stories about kids at risk or kids straying from the path of their forefathers. So the, the, the narrator will mix together the kid uh, being Michal Shabbos and eating treif with, and he grew his hair long and he came home with an earring, as if somehow the wearing long hair is somehow as fundamentally un-Jewish as Chil Shabbos, and having an earring is, for a man is somehow as fundamentally un-Jewish as eating treif. I always used to say that the, that the Frum, the Haredim, are, are conflating uh, culture and class with religion, with genuine, uh, genuine issues of Yadis. And the Pasuk indicates that men used to wear earrings. Today it's not the fashion. Today it's becoming the fashion again. Certainly uh, influence maybe of uh, non-Western cultures, influence of um, rap music, other types of genres. It's become much more common for men to wear earrings. But, the, but in any event, the Midrash also really acknowledges, that at least in the, in the time of the Midrash, in Brinkley Belezer's time, it was not common for men to wear earrings. The Midrash feels the need to add an explanatory note that back in biblical times, it was common for men to wear earrings. And the Midrash says it was not even so common in the world in general. The Midrash says that was Kemase HaMetriyim, the way of the Egyptians, Uchemase HaArviyim, and the way of the Arabs. I was a little, I was a little curious about this. Sorry? Yes, yes, of course. I always point that out as well, that with regard to women, you know, women wearing earrings is uh, is acceptable in from society. Women wearing nose rings maybe would be seen as a little bit uh, outre. But uh, but yes, Rivka apparently wore a nose ring, and that was the culture. Again, Rivka, Rivka according to Midrashim, came from a family. Of, she came from a family of Ovdevodizara. There's various drash about even if her theology wasn't perfect, it was more important that she had good midas. So not sure how much we can infer from Rivka. But yes, it is true. Rivka wore a nose ring. 
So I, I was curious about what historians think about men wearing earrings in biblical times, what the custom was. So according to Britannica, at least according to Encyclopedia Britannica of a century ago, in the Orient, earrings historically were worn by both sexes. You see it's an old Britannica, they used the word Orient, which today I think is considered racist. In the West, including ancient Israel and Egypt, as a general rule, they were considered to be exclusively female ornaments. Among the Greeks and Romans, earrings were worn only by women, and the practice of men wearing them is often spoken of in classical literature as a distinctly Oriental Middle Eastern trait. So the Midrash seems to say that Egyptians did wear earrings, and that's where the Jews got it from, just that other cultures didn't wear them. Historians, at least at one point, claim that nobody in the West wore them, only people in the East wore them. I don't know, uh, I don't know what it was, but at least in the Dar Hamidbar, at least in the Dar of the Yotzim the men wore earrings. Now, the, Pirke, the, the Radal, in his commentary to Pirkei Rebeliezer, says a couple of interesting and provocative things about earrings. He says that, he refers you to comments, he says elsewhere, Pirkei Rebeliezer, when he discusses the chait the of the Eitz so the Midrash says that woman was cursed with Tesha Klalos, with nine curses. One of them is, her ear is pierced like an Eved Olam, like an Eved Ivri who is Nirza, and like a Shifcha who serves her, she serves her husband. So, what does it mean, Ratza Asazna, her ear, Reish Sadiayan, her ear is pierced? So, the Radal explains that women is supposed to, a woman is supposed to listen to her husband, brings a Pasuk into Hillim, Shimi Vas, Suri, Vati Oznech, Veshechi Amech, Vesavich, Vesav Amelech Yafyach, Kihu Adonayach, Veshtachvilo. Your, your king, your husband is your master. We discussed elsewhere whether you should call him your lord and master, whether you have to stand up for him. It says in Tehillim, you should bow down to him. Lemech, Lemech says, Listen to me. You're my wives. You have to listen to me. We see that it's, the, it's decreed upon woman to listen to her husband and to bend her ear to his, his command. And that's why we call it Ritzias Ozin. And he says, Efshir, that the piercing ears which women used to do. Elsa in Yecheskel refers to women wearing earrings. So the reason women pierce ears, he says, is a remez to this idea that she has to listen to her husband, that her ear is like, a, like an Eben she's subservient to her husband, that uh, she has to listen to her husband like a servant listens to his master. And that's why women wear earrings, in order to remember, you know, as, as a simon, that they are supposed to be listening to their husbands. In any event... So the Midrash says that the men wore earrings, they gave their own earrings. So the Midrash makes the following, several, again, to summarize the following important points. Women did not give their jewelry, not, be, not, not, not because, not only because they liked their jewelry, but because they were, they were outraged at the idea of the Egel. This was considered a great mitzvah. They were rewarded for this in Olm Hazen, Olm Haba. In Olm Hazen, the schar was Rosh Chodesh. In Olm Haba, there was going to be additional spiritual schar. Again, other Midrashim make the same point. Women didn't worship the Egel. In Bamidbar Rabbah, it says, Benos Tzalafchad. It says, the women of that generation, they were cleaning up the messes made by the men. Hanashim Godros, Masha Hanashim Partsos, Partsim, that we find Aaron said, give me the jewelry, give the jewelry of the women. Women said no, and it was the men's jewelry, because the, the, men, the men had to do it, because the women weren't interested in, in worshiping the Egel. Miraglim, Miraglim spurned Eretz Israel. They said they were Motzi Diba. They didn't want to go in. Women didn't. Women were, 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 not, uh, were not of that party. How do we know? Because it says, Midrash says, it says, everyone, all the men died in the Midbar. Ish. No man remained alive. Kiyam Kalev ben Yifune. Ish floisha. The Gzera of annihilation was on men. Women were not part of it because women were enthusiastic about the arts, like we find in Oslavchad. And that's why the parasha of Slavchad is written next to the parasha of the Mesei Midbar to tell you that what the women were po- what the men were parades, the women were goder. Shirashirim Rabbah, it says Nishedar Midbar Kshirasayu. When it came time for the for the Egel, they said no, we're not giving our jewelry for the Egel, etc. Tanchuma, Aaron said, uh, give me your women's jewelry. And the women said, no, we saw all the Nisim and the Gvuros, the great deeds Hashem did for us, Mitzrayim, the Yam, and Sinai. The women said, chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, that we should deny HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who did all the Nisim for us, and we should worship Avodah Zarah. The women said, no. 
So the, the, what did the men do? The men gave their jewelry. Men gave their own jewelry because the women weren't having any part of it. There is a famous pshat of the Gona Vilna that builds upon this midrashic idea. The Gon cites a medrash plia. Midrash plia was a whole genre of midrashim. There were mysterious, riddle-like midrashim that were full of non-sequiturs or bizarre statements that made no sense. And it was the darshanim the, who would try their skill at deciphering the riddle of the midrash plia. Midrash plias are a problematic genre. It's not clear they always exist. Various achronim were very critical of darshanim who just made up midrashim to, uh, to show kocham hagadola. I always used to laugh at uh, modern uh, liberal Jews who consider Midrash a literary genre. They, they do make-your-own-Midrash workshops, but apparently Midrash Plia, something similar, Darshanim, for hundreds of years, used to make up Midrashim as a kind of canvas against which to display their, their ingeniousness. Anyway, the Vilna Gaon brings a Midrash Plia, which, again, we don't have, doesn't exist as far as we know. It might be based on a Midrash that we do have, but it's uh, certainly the Midrash in the form that he has it uh, we don't have. The Midrash says, that when Moshe came and slew those who had worshipped the Egel, there were 3,000 men, around 3,000 men who were killed. And the Midrash says, that's what, we, that's what the Pasuk says in Parshas Mishpatim, when a thief steals an ox and he's caught, he has to pay in compensation five oxen in lieu of the one ox that he stole. Vuplia, Midrash Plia, Kishmo Kenu. What kind of, uh, what's the connection between Chamishavakar and 3,000 men? So the Gon says, as a Paschim Kohelas, Adam Echon Me'elaf Matsasi, I have found one man in a thousand, Mi'isha Bechalele Lo Matsasi. But among women, I have not even found that. So Kapshuto, it's a Pasuk that is very critical of women, a misogynistic Pasuk. Men, I can find at least one in a thousand. Women, nothing. There, there is no good woman, no good woman to be found. This is like uh, Diogenes looking for an honest man. A man, I can find at least one in a thousand. Women, not even that. But the Gaon brings an interpretation that flips the, the pasuk on its head. Adam echad me'elef. This is the Masah Egel, that one in a thousand people sinned at the Egel. The Isha that Isha, when it comes to Ela, when it comes to Ela Lohecha Yisrael, the, the credo of worshiping the Egel, Lomatsasi, not a single woman worshiped the Egel. How do I know that? Kimavur, Nashim Ksherisayu, all these Midrashim say women didn't sin at the Cheta Egel. Where on earth did the Gon get this, inter- forget the first Midrash Plea, where did the Gon get this interpretation of the Pasuk and Kohelas? I was not able to find any such Midrash either. The Gon doesn't say it's a Midrash, and Kololio, he just says, this is how he learns the Pasuk. Where he got this from, I don't know. There is a Midrash Rabba in Kohelas that says, Gavar Acher, Adam Ze Moshe, Adam Echem Elif is Moshe, the Isha Elu Midbar. What does that mean? So Adam, the one Adam is Moshe, the Isha, who there was none of, is Nesheh Midbar. What does that mean? So the Marazu says, it's going on Chet Egel. It means among men, the only one who, who was faithful to Hashem, who stood up for Hashem's honor was Moshe, but Isha, Nisham Midbar, So the way the Marzu interprets this Midrash, it's saying something similar to the Gon. Uh, unlike the Gon, though, the Adam, the Midrash says, is Moshe. The Gon is learning Adam means one in a thousand men sinned, and the, the, and the, the Marzu, the Midrash, are learning Adam's and Moshe. Moshe is the one in a thousand who didn't sin. The Marzu's Midrash is a little hard to understand. It's not parallel. Adam, Echad Me'elaf, Matsasi, meaning one in a thousand was, was faithful. Isha Bechleila, Lo Matsasi, who was unfaithful. So the Midrash is, is uh, jarringly uh, not parallel according to the, the text that we have. But the Gon's interpretation is more elegant, at least. I don't know where he got it from. It's more elegant. One in a thousand men sinned at the Egel, but not even that, not even one in a thousand women, no women sinned at the Egel. Now the Gon does a little bit of arithmetic. There were 600,000 men in the desert. If one in a thousand sinned, that means that 600 men sinned. One in a thousand of 600,000 is 600. So if 600 men sinned, then why did Moshe kill 3,000 men? Says the, says the Midrash, The sin of the Egel involves some kind of uh, infraction against the Shar of the Merkava, whatever that means, the heavenly Shar. And the penalty is, 
you do a chet of an egel involving a pagam and a shor of the Merkava, the penalty is fivefold, and therefore 3,000 people were killed. That's the midah kenegen midah of the punishment for the chet ha'egel. All right. So anyway, there is this widespread midrash, various midrash rabbas, Pirkei Dribbeliezer, that women did not sin at the Egel, and, uh, and they were rewarded, as the Pirkei Dribbeliezer as the says, they were rewarded in Olam Hazeh with the special connection to the Yom Tov of Rosh Chodesh. Now I mentioned earlier, Tosus, the Bali Tosus, in their commentary to Parshas Vayakel, also bring this idea that women didn't sin at the Egel, I mentioned earlier, they explained that, that what happened to the jewelry was the women indeed refused to give their jewelry, but unlike Perkut Rebeliezer, that therefore the men said, okay, we'll give our own jewelry, the Tosfus learned, like Ibn Ezra, that it was actually the women's jewelry. The women said, no, the men took it anyway. The men said, oh yes, you will. The women said, we're not giving our jewelry for a shikut and a toeva. The men said, that's what you think, and the men took it uh, forcibly. The men were stronger, they took it away and gave it to Aaron. The Tosus says, that's what the Pasuk means when it says, when it says, Vayisparku nizmeazav, mashma balkarchan. So nizmeazav means their jewelry, but Vayisparku means they were relieved of their jewelry, that the men took it balkarchan. The Balitosis explain that the, that they contrast, the reason this is in Vayakil is because the Balitosis are contrasting the, the women's behavior, favorably contrasting the women's behavior the way they reacted to the Egel and the way they reacted to the request for donations for the Mishkan. When it came time for the Egel, the women said absolutely not, and the jewelry had to be seized from them against their will. When it came time, however, to donate to the Mishkan, it says, hanashim al hanashim. The women came joyously. It says, hanashim asher nasa They were enthusiastic. They were, they were, they were happy to give, to give donations for the Mishkan. And because of this, because of the way that the women refused to give to the Egel and were willing and happy to give to the Mishkan, that's why they got the Yom Tov of Rosh Chodesh. And again, this goes back to Pirkei Dribbeliezer, but it's an idea that we find in numerous Rishon. The Balitosis, in their commentary to, to Teshas, discuss this in a couple of places, this idea that women keep Rosh Chodesh, we had it in Sachim and Dafyomi not long ago, that women don't do, that women don't do Malacha on... On Rosh Chodesh, the Balitosis, the Rishonim bring various theorists and Gemaras about whether there is an Isra Malacha or there's no Isra Malacha on Rosh Chodesh. For example, Tosis in, Tosis in Megillah. The, the Gemara there says that Rosh Chodesh has no Bittal Malacha, that we're not keeping anyone away from work by davening, so we read four Elias, meaning people don't work on Rosh Chodesh. Uh, this, is, this is what I always like to point out, that you know, sometimes people cut davening short and are rushed to get to work, and sometimes people who are you know, pious uh, look askance at that, that isn't davening more important than work. But yeah, you see that Chazal also were concerned that people have to work, and that it is appropriate sometimes to, to uh, keep an eye on the length of davening because of the need people have to work. We, we mentioned a while back, that's, that's what uh, the Kolbo, I think it is, that's what, that's what one of the Risharnam learns, the reason that an Ashkenaz that they didn't talk in during the week was because they were busy working. Some say that they, some say that they, were, they were busy working, they didn't have time to duchen. Some say that they were tarud, they were thinking about work, so they didn't have the peace of mind to duchen. But in any event, the, the, the Gemara says, Ein ban bitl malacha, and Rosh Chodesh is no bitl malacha. Tosis says, really? People don't work on Rosh Chodesh? But the, elsewhere the Gemara says, in Chagiga the Gemara says, Rosh Chodesh is mutter basiyas malacha. So Tosis says, the chiluk is men and women. When the Gemara says mutter, it means for men. But women, women are asuras b'malacha. Why? Tosa doesn't bring uh, the Midrash, but he brings the idea of the Midrash. Bishlo parkun is man because of the great schus that they didn't give their jewelry to the egel. That's why they have the Isra malacha on Rosh Chodesh. This is obvious, but it just doesn't hurt to point it out. We might think that an additional Isra, additional restrictions, would be a punishment, would be... Uh, would be the people feel more restricted, they don't want to have more Isurim. On the contrary, you see that the, the prohibitions of Malacha and Shabbos and Yom Tov are eschus. Women, mitzvah gereras mitzvah, women who did the mitzvah of refusing to give to the Egel, they were rewarded with more restrictions, with more, with more, more Isurim, that they can't do Malacha, that they're asur to do Malacha on Chalamoit. Tos doesn't even say it's a minag, we'll return to this later. Tos says asuro some of Malacha, they're actually prohibited from doing Malacha because of this. And Tosis in various places, Allah Torah, and various places in Shas, the, the, the Rishonim, other Rishonim as well, bring this idea that women don't do malacha on 
women don't do Malach and Rosh Chodesh because of the, Rakech brings this, because as a reward for their being faithful to Hashem and refusing to contribute to the, refusing to contribute to the Egel. The Balitosus on Parshas Vayakel, they add the dimension of contributing to the Mishkan, and they explain the connection to Rosh Chodesh, that's why it was Rosh Chodesh, because the Hakamasa Mishkan was on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and they were happy to give to the Mishkan, even though they refused, and they refused to give to the Egel, so they were given specifically Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Once they were given Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Agav Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they, they have all the Rosh Chodesh. The Torah has an elaborate pshat, he heard from Rabbi Yechiel, why Rosh Chodesh, he says that the, he, he explains that the Yom Tovim are connected to Avos, and the, the, the Yudbeis, Rosh Chodesh Yashana, are connected to the Yudbeis Shvatim, when the Jews sinned at the Egel, they forfeited Rosh Chodesh, and it was given instead to the women as a Zecher Shlohoyu Ba'os Vachet. So this is, the, this is the idea that women didn't worship the Egel, and that women were rewarded with the Yom Tov of Rosh Chodesh, which is which is unique to them, or is special to them, more so than, more so than men. As we said, the Balitosas say that the women are austere to do malacha. Pekad Rebeleazer just says, Nashim Mishamros, Osun Yosem and Nashim, they keep it more than men. The, the, the Minag not to do malacha, aside from the Pekad Rebeleazer, the earliest source, perhaps, is the Yushalmi. The Yushalmi in the beginning of, in, in Tzachim, beginning of Makam Shinagu, Makam Shinagu is, uh, is a whole collection of various Minhagim that, yes? Yeah, I, I spoke maybe a little bit uh, too quickly there. I, I, I will retract that. I, I didn't have the chance to look at the dates. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not, actually sure, not actually sure about the dates there. Do you have something you want to comment on that? Well, the the Pirkei and Relez is attributed to Right, right. Um, I, I think I was uh, echoing what I had seen as the scholarly consensus, which dates Perkut Eliezer to uh, the Gaonic period. But uh, but yes, uh, if we if we understand uh, that it's actually Tanaim, then again, and with a lot of Midrashim, the the, the, the the truth is quite possibly somewhere in between. In, it, it, in all likelihood, it has older older parts, which may even be Tanaitic. It, it may have some later parts. So yeah, so I, I don't actually know what, what the modern, traditional uh, from perspective is, uh, what the, what the, what the Misori is, when we say it was dated, but yeah, okay. I, right, I, I just meant that, I just meant that, what I meant in a kind of uh, general way is that we know the Yushalmi goes back, uh, goes back earlier than the earliest uh, definitive records we have of the Perkut really has. But you're right, the, the actual dating is not necessarily clear. In any event, the Yushalmi says, in the beginning of, the beginning of Makam Shinagu, it brings various, the Makam Shinagu is all about different minhagim, some of which are that's, that, in, in, a, in, a, in a variety of areas. So the Yushalmi, in the beginning, brings, has a, a short passage on a, a whole list of minhagim of women not to do malacha, on various occasions, some of which the Yushalmi disapproves of, minhag, some of which it does approve of. So the final one on the list, it says, Yoma diarcha minhag. Women who have the minhag not to do malacha on Rosh Chodesh, that is a, a legitimate minhag. The Yushalmi endorses that minhag, and that's apparently connected to what Perkut Belezer says, that that, that, that was, the, that, that was the, a, a special connection women have to Rosh Chodesh. Meshamros, son doesn't say how they're Meshamros, but the Yushalmi says they're Meshamros by not doing malacha, and that's the minhag that the Rishonim bring, the Balitosvis and the Rokeach, the Torah brings it, that women have the minhag not to do malacha on Rosh Chodesh. Now, the, the, the language of the Torah, when he says, the language of the Torah is that, that the minhag that women don't do malacha is, is, is unique to women. Yushalmi says it's a, it's a legitimate minhag. And Hashem gave them their schar, they keep her shodesh. He brings these various, these various motifs. Now, the Shulchan Aruch is, brings this minhag. The Shulchan Aruch says the women that don't do malacha, it's a minhag tov. He, he approves of it. It's not entirely clear, the Bir Halacha has a lengthy discussion about it, it's not entirely clear whether he means it's an optional minhag that some women have, those who do it are to be commended, or whether he means it's a binding universal minhag. The women in general who do it, women, womanhood, Jewish womanhood who does it, it is a good minhag. There are some Rishonim who the Bir Halacha brings who, whose language implies that uh, some women did and some women didn't, it is not universally binding, 
But the Bir Alacha brings the language of numerous Rishonim that say that, that, that their language indicates that it is a, that the women were already our ancestors, our Tzidkanios, uh, the women of our ancestors already were Makabalit on, on, on themselves. And by today, at least, it has become, by the time of the Rishonim already, it had become a binding minhag. And uh, at some point it was optional, but, but, it, but the women, woman, womanhood accepted the minhag. And, and at, at this point, and even in the time of the Rishonim, it was, a, uh, was already a binding minhag. As we noted, the language of Tosis was, the, one, you know, the language of Tosis is pretty uh, strongly, strongly indicates like this. Tosis says, Muterhu basias malacha la'anashim, aval nashim asuras b'malacha. He doesn't say some women have the custom. He says women are prohibited to do malacha because of what happened at the Egel. So the Biralacha concludes that the Ikar is, it's not just a, a commendable minhag for those who do it, it is a binding minhag that women today have, must keep this minhag. Now he brings the Magan Avram. The Magan Avram says that, 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 that some women, uh, that, that, that the, well, the Ramah goes on. After the Shulchan Aruch says it's a minhag tov, the Ramah says that if the minhag is to only keep, uh, to only refrain from some malacha, then you follow that minhag. Whatever the minhag is, whatever they refrain from, that's what you do. Bir Lacha brings in Magan Avram, who says something also that the minhag depends, some women did, some women didn't. The Bir Lacha concludes that what, what the Magan Avram means, what the halacha is, is that all women accepted as a binding baseline obligation to refrain from at least some malacha. To, to distinguish Rosh Chodesh from ordinary days, you, you have to have at least some level of abstention from malacha to mark Rosh Chodesh as special, and that's something that's universally binding upon all women. Some women had the custom to, to refrain from doing all malacha, other women, ha- other women had the custom to refrain from only certain malachas. That's optional. A woman can choose either version of the minhag. Once she accepts uh, the minhag to be machmer, that becomes binding, and she has to do that permanently. I would assume, unless she said blineder. That's the universal advice we give people today about everything. Anytime you adopt a, a minhag that's not automatically binding, you should say you're doing it blineder. So I imagine a woman can and probably would be advised if she decided to do no malacha to... Uh, to say that she's only accepting that level of chumrah blineder, but that's the basic halacha. The Bir halacha explains all women are already bound by an ancient minhag to refrain from doing some malacha. Some women have the custom to refrain from doing more all malachas. Some women are only from some malachas, and that's up to a woman to decide what she is going to do and what she is not going to do. The post can bring other questions about what uh, what part of Rosh Chodesh, or about the night of Rosh Chodesh. The Bir halacha brings from the Yavets and Marukziah. At night it's mutter, and uh, only for Hesiazasser, and night is called Tzina, because it's more private. He also brings from the, from the Maruk Tzia that Malachas Kalos, light Malacha, easy Malacha is mutter. Any day, he says, he's not sure what the Minig is, Bir Alacha is not sure what, how, how strict people are with regard to Malacha. And the truth is, the, the earlier poskim don't really tell us exactly what Malachas are included, we have this, this general thing the Ramah brings that, that in some cases, at least, women accepted that they would do some malachas, not others, but he doesn't really give examples of what kinds of malachas. And it's, it's not very clear un, until contemporary poskim, as far as I saw, it's not very clear what malachas women actually refrained from doing and what uh, malachas they didn't. And it's also not clear, really, whether this was universal. The Bir Alacha says it's mashim from the Rishonim. It was universal. That's also not really clear whether women refrained from whether all women refrained, whether some women refrained, all this is really not that clear. Birlach himself says, any idea exactly the, the extent to which women follow the minhag, whether it was all malachas or not. Contemporary poskim, all kinds, all kinds of contemporary poskim, Rav Ozner, Rav Shulman Orbach, or the Arlitzion, all kinds of contemporary poskim have discussed exactly what types of, what types of malachas women, the minhag is to do, the women not to do. I conducted an informal poll of, uh, of people I knew, women and their husbands, about what women don't do, it seems that there are some women who have never heard of this minhag and who act as they normally do in Rosh Chodesh. Of the women who do have this minhag, it seems that the most common thing that women don't do is laundry. That's what several of the Gedolia Postkim of the last generation have said, that laundry, some of them add, they add sewing, and it's, laundry and sewing are the two common types of malachas that Postkim apparently have said that women, the minig is to refrain from. I don't know exactly, again, how they got those two malachas. Perhaps laundry was something you, you don't do daily, so it was practical to, to avoid laundry. Things like cooking. cooking. Cooking is a chore, but people did it every day. It might be difficult to avoid cooking entirely. 
but uh, laundry, la- laundry is one of the, is one of the things that contemporary many contemporary posts can have said that is the minhag not to do laundry, and, and many contemporary women apparently do avoid doing laundry on Rosh Chodesh. Now there is some question. Yes, yes. So, so Shlomo was pointing out laundry used to be far more of a chore than cooking. Laundry involved going down to the river and beating the clothes and scrubbing with your hands until everything was clean and so on. Laundry cer- certainly used to be a huge chore. And there are indeed postkin who have said that washing machines are not included in laundry, that washing machines is a relatively trivial task, and the minog not to do laundry doesn't apply to washing machines. This is similar to what the Maruxia said. The Maruxia said that, the, that he was mekel the malachas kalos, the easy malachas. Biralacha wasn't convinced that was the halacha. Biralacha said any day if that's the minog. But uh, washing machines, contemporary postkim disagree about it. Some, some contemporary postkim say that uh, washing machine is bachal not aser. Other, women's, uh, other postkim say that it is aser. It's still, it's, still, it's still the minog to refrain from laundry, and a woman should refrain from doing that. I've seen, I think, that some posts can say that she can load the machine, but the husband should activate the machine, press the button. That maybe technically makes sense, but that sounds kind of perverse. For, again, for a modern woman, for a modern laundry, most of the work surely involves collecting the laundry, dragging the baskets up and down the stairs, folding the laundry, take, putting it into the machine, putting it out of the machine, pressing the button is by far the easiest part of the process. It's telling a woman she can set it... what I get to do. Press the That's button? What? There you go. Okay, so it's just how he tells us that's his custom as well. That the that uh, that Mrs. Feldman apparently loads the machine. I'm sorry. It's his wife's custom. Right, his wife's custom that she does the rest of the laundry, all the the background, and he does the actual pressing the button, and that's apparently what that's apparently the custom of some, of some women as well. But uh, but again, some women some posts can say the, that the laundry. Uh, there's no prohibition because it's only, it's only washing by hand, which I guess is more of a terrible that's prohibited. Other posts can say that other posts can say that the that uh, that 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 laundry should be avoided, should be avoided, even washing machine should be avoided. Although again, within that school of thought, within the stringent school of thought, some allow loading the machine. At least some allow loading the machine and just say she shouldn't do the actual button pressing. Uh, just, to, just to conclude with uh, moving over to a different but related topic, the women we've been discussing until now, women have a special connection to Rosh Chodesh because, because, they were, they, because of what they did, their spiritual heroism at the time of the Egel, they have a special Yom Tov of Rosh Chodesh, which means that they avoid certain malacha on Rosh Chodesh. There is one other, one other at least one other place in Halacha where we find, according to some posts at least, that women have a special Yom Tov, and that is Hanukkah. The Gemara in three places, in Shas, in Shabbos, in Shabbos, in Psachim, in Megillah, three places the Gemara says women are obligated in certain mitzvahs, certain mitzvahs to Rabbanon, because Afhein Hayub because they were involved in the nace that that mitzvah commemorates. In Shabbos, in Shabbos the Gemara is talking about the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah, Women are obligated in Ner Hanukkah because Afin Hayabosu Anes of Hanukkah. In Megillah, the Gemara is talking about Mikra Megillah. Women are obligated to hear the Megillah because Afin Hayabosu Anes of Purim. And in Psachim, the Gemara is talking about Arbakosos. Women are obligated in the mitzvah of Arbakosos because Afin Hayabosu Anes of, of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. What, is the, what do the Gemaras mean that women were involved in those Nisim? So there are two schools of thought in the Rishon. Tosis brings that the Tosis brings that the Rashbam, the Rashbam said that they were the, the heroes, the heroines of, the, of those Nisim were women. How were they the heroines? How, how were they the agents of salvation? So in, so in, uh, in Mitzrayim, so, it went, so when it came to Mitzrayim, the Vizchus Nashim Tzidkanios, they were redeemed. Megillah, Ayyadeh Esther. Uvachanakah, When it comes to Hanukkah, it was the Nase of Yehudis, who uh, we'll discuss the story in a moment. She was instrumental in bringing about the Nase of Hanukkah. Tosus himself disagrees. Tosus says, means they were the victims. They were, along with the rest of Kalal Yisrael, they were suffering from the oppression of the Mitzrayim on Pesach, and the Haman, they were under the threat of extermination on Purim, and Hanukkah they suffered for, for, uh, under, under the decrees of the Yavanim. 
It means they were the victims. But the Rashbam said it means that they were the heroines. And, and on Hanukkah in particular, it was the Al Yehudis. The other Rishonim also bring this, the Ran. The Ran says that, the Ran gives us the story. He says that in the time of the Yavanim, there was a terrible Xera that every woman, that the Hegmon, the, the local governor, had the right of the first night, and just primus noctus or something like that. Apparently it's, uh, it's apocryphal, it's mythical that there was ever such an actual Xera, but some Rishonim record this tradition that the women were Tiboil Hegmon Trila, and via a certain woman, there was a great nace. The story is the Midrash. Ran tells us it's a Midrash. Ran claims the Midrash says the daughter of Yochanan gave the, the chief of the enemy cheese. She got him drunk, intoxicated with that, and she cut off his head. And because of that, uh, the enemy all fled. They were demoralized. That's why we eat cheese on Hanukkah. One minhag, we eat cheese on Hanukkah. Kolbo tells us the same thing. Women were influential in the, in the nace. First he brings the shot of Tosis. Women were in danger as well. Then he says, Yezh Mefarshim, that a woman was the heroine. Which woman? Tells us her name. Her name was Yehudas, like Tosus said, like the Rashbam said. Then he brings the Midrash. He calls it an Agada, daughter of Yochanan Kohen Gadol. She was very beautiful. Yefas Tar Ma'od. The Melech wanted her to, uh, to have his way with her. The king of Yavan. It wasn't just the general. It was the, the Hegmon. It was the king. She gave him cheese. According to this version of the Midrash, the cheese didn't intoxicate him itself. The cheese made him thirsty. Well, all this, people have pointed out, echoes back to the story of Yael and Sisra. And because he was thirsty, he drank, and he got drunk, and then he fell asleep, and then she cut off his head, and she brought it to Yerushalayim, and when they saw that their hero was dead, they all ran away, and that's why we eat cheese on Hanukkah. So, according to these Rishonim, refers to the story of Yehudis, that she was the one who saved the... She was the one who saved them by decapitating one of the leaders of the Yivan. Shulchan Aruch brings a minhag. Women don't do malacha while the candles are burning. Some say that's a valid minhag, and it should be respected. You, you shouldn't tell them that uh, there's no such minhag. So, the Taz says, the Taz says it's, once they have the minhag, it's a valid minhag. So the early poskim don't say that clearly why women and not men, but the Taz says it's like Rosh Chodesh, just like we find about Rosh Chodesh it's a, it's a minhag unique to women. Women have that minhag and not men. When it comes to Rosh Chodesh, we said the reason was because it's a schar for their faithfulness to Hashem in the Maisa Egel and their, and their uh, contrasting reaction to the Mishkan. And, but the Taz says, this minhag also of women not to do malacha when the candles of Hanukkah are burning, when the narrative of Hanukkah are burning, it's like Rosh Chodesh, it's a minhag unique to women. Why? Minhag tov. Why? So he says, just like we find about Rosh Chodesh, they have a unique Yom Tov, unique prohibition of Malacha because of the schar that they didn't give their earrings to the Egel. So here too, he says, Who had Nashim, Since the Nase happened via women, the story of Yehudis. So therefore it's good that it's a good minog they have not to do Malacha while the Neris are burning, but for men, it's not their minog. For men, there's no such minog, and so on. That's the Taz, based on this minog, based on this idea that we showed him tell us, the Rashbam and the Ran and the Kolbo, that Yehudis, daughter of Yochanan Kohen Gadol, was instrumental in bringing about the nace of Hanukkah. That's why they have a minog similar to Rosh Chodesh, not to do malacha, at least while the Neris are burning. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, one of the great uh, iconoclasts and critical thinkers in, uh, in Judaism, Rabbi Yaakov Emden is vehemently opposed to this comment to the Taz. He says this whole idea that the story of Yehudis happened on Hanukkah, it happened as part of the nace of Hanukkah, is badui. It is made up, it is bogus, there's no such thing. Even though he says, Kasvu keng mefarshim, there are some mefarshim, we shown them, we saw, who learned this way, the whole thing is made up, the whole thing is a mistake, he says. There is no connection of Hanukkah to women more than men. When the Gemara says, he says, Pshat is that the Gzair was upon them, not like the Rashbam, the Pshat is they were the victims, not the heroines, he says. Not that they were the, the Seba Begarim Lunes. And then he says that the. That, and, then, and then he, said, he, he says that it's true that there is an ancient Piot, an ancient uh, Ashkenazic Piot of the, the Yotzer of Shabbat Hanukkah, that also says the Nase of Yehudas happened in the context of the Nase of Hanukkah. The whole thing is a mistake, he says. He conflated two totally separate historical events. Rechokim Ma'od Bismaneim, the Nase of Yehudas happened much earlier. Lokarav Zel Zeh. 
the only possibility of finding any legitimate connection between Yehudas and Hanukkah is to say that although it happened in an entirely different era, but they wanted to commemorate the nace, so they found a time they, they just associated it with Hanukkah because even though it happened much earlier, we made Golis Bayis Rishon, and they didn't have they didn't have any real yanta for it, so they just stuck it on to Hanukkah. But historically, he says the nace of Yehudas has no connection to Hanukkah. What are they arguing about here? What's the issue? So where does the story of Yehudas actually come from? So we saw the Rishonim call it a midrash, the Ran, the Kolbo referred to it as a midrash, referred to it as an agada. It's not one of the classic midrashim that we have, as far as I know. The main source for it is an ancient work called Sefer Yehudas, the Book of Judith. The Book of Judith is in the Bible. Not our Bible, but some of the Bibles of other religions. I, I always remember, I was uh, walking through an art museum once, and I'm always interested in the biblical paintings. So I'm looking around at some paintings, and I see, I see a picture of a, uh, I see pictures of things like a, a bold and uh, a bold Amazonian-looking woman looking proud and triumphant with a sword in one hand and a bloody head in the other hand. And the caption is, "This is Judith with the head of Halifornus." There, there were other paintings there about the about story, episodes from the Book of Susanna. They said this story is from the Book of Judith. This story is from the Book of Susanna. And that was fine. I, I, I was well aware that the other religions have other parts of their Bible. What got me very confused is when they said the Old Testament book of Judith. I was very, a little perplexed by that because I'm not that well versed in Tanakh, but I do at least, more, I do at least know the names of the Haftal Tzfarim. I was pretty sure that Judith is not the name of a book in Tanakh. So Old Testament, what is that all about? So sure enough, the, apparently not only do the Christians have a New Testament that we don't accept, they also add some books to the Old Testament. And one of those books is the book of Judith, in which the story of Judith is told. Now, we, we know of that book as one of the Sfarim Chitonim, one of the Apocrypha, books that Chazal did not choose to canonize, that, that Aramisara does not accept as biblical. But it's one of those, it's, it's that book, it's the book of Judith that contains the early story, that, that's, that is the, the canonical account, so to speak, of the story of Judith decapitating an enemy, and, and, and bring about a great salvation for the Jewish people. When did that story happen? So as Rabbi Yaakov Emden says, if you read the story, we don't know, historians say it's very, very hard to date, it, it, doesn't really connect to, it doesn't really connect to known historical figures, mentions Nebuchadnezzar, apparently, but uh, it's hard to know when it was, but there are aspects of the story, apparently, that indicate that it happened way back around Purim time, in the time of the in the time of the, of, the, of the period between the two Bat and Mikdash, not hundreds of years later in the time of Hanukkah. And that's Yerach point. He says that if you, if you know the historical bases for the story, the, the, the earliest records, the, the records such as we have, there is no connection to Hanukkah. He doesn't know why the Rishonim confused it and somehow associated it with Hanukkah. The only suggestion he has is maybe they just decided to celebrate it on Hanukkah because it was a good time. It, this wasn't worthy of its own yontif, apparently, and the, and the nace was similar to Hanukkah, so they just tacked it on as a kind of uh, addendum to Hanukkah. That's Iraq of Edmund's position. The mooncatcher of Chaim Lazar Shapiro, he is very unhappy. He is a very traditional thinker, also uh, an, interesting and, uh, an interesting and incisive thinker, but more traditional in many ways. And he was very unhappy with Iraq of Emden. He says he has the temerity to say that the, the story didn't happen on Hanukkah, Either he didn't see or he didn't know, he says. It's not just the Taz he's picking on who connects the story to Hanukkah. It's the Rashbam. Tosis brings the Rashbam that Afrinei that that is is a story of Yehudas. It's true. Rabbi says he likes the other sheet in the Rishonim, that, that Afrinei Bosranes means they were the victims. But it's the Rashbam. You can't just dismiss the Rashbam as being misguided. That Rashbam says Yehudas. The Kolbo, the Ramah, the Piyot Ashkenazi, or Yaakov Emden just dismisses as being wrong. It says the Munkacher, We have to accept the, the authority of the Rishonim and the Poskim and faithfully accept what they say. And therefore, as far as we're concerned, we accept the idea that the story of Yehudis is connected to Hanukkah. Rabbi David Gans as well, much earlier, Talmud of the Ramah, he also, he, he was famous, besides being a Talmud Chacham, he was also famous as being one of the earliest of the modern Jewish historians. So he, in his historical work, he also says, he also says, like Rebekah Emden, that it's clear from a historical perspective, he writes in the Semach David, the story of Yehudis happened much earlier than Hanukkah, 
and has no, connect, has no actual historical connection to Hanukkah. He says that Yehudis was an Aishas Chayim and Ha'ivrios. She was a uh, brave and valiant Jewish woman. She killed the, the general named Alforna, Alifornus, when, when uh, she cut off his head, and she was, and she was Garma Chua Gedola Ufurkan, Hanukkah language, Chua Gedola Ufurkan la Yehudim, as is written where? What's the source of the story? Sefer Yehudis. The original source of the story is the Book of Judith. We don't know when this actually occurred because it doesn't appear in Yosifon. Yosifon was the classic source of Jewish history and it doesn't appear in, I guess, either Josephus itself or the Yosifon, the, the Jewish uh, rewriting of it, the, the later Jewish rewriting of it, the, the from rewriting of it. Um, according to the Python, he says, it happened in Hanukkah, he says, However, in the Sifrei Chashmanayim, and again, in the early authoritative works, on, the authoritative, but the, early, the earliest works we have on the history of Hanukkah, there is no reference to this story. And according to the Mashmos of Sefer Yehudis, he says, it sounds like it happened in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Some say it happened in the time of the son of Koresh, Melech Pras. Either, according to this, he says, still, it was two or three hundred years before Hanukkah. Then he says, like a recommendation suggestion, he says, Mikol Makom, to include Zechel and Nezem, Nez Hanukkah. They decided that Hanukkah would be a good time to commemorate this Nez as well. So we have the two of the, the, the great critical historians in Judaism, Rabbi David Gans and Rabbi Emden, saying that they, 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 do not, they do not think it likely that the story has an actual historical connection to Hanukkah. Connected that we have Rishonim, who seems to think that it did. And we have the Munkacher, who says that we have to accept the opinion of the Rishonim, against that of uh, Achronim, who decide that they know better. In any event, though, in addition to the, the more established tradition that Rosh Chodesh is an ace of women, going back to Pirkei Jebeliezer and many of the Balitosvis and the Yushalmi, with regard to Hanukkah, there is a minog brought by the Rishonim that women don't do malacha during the Neiris, and according to the Taz, the reason for that is very similar to the minog of Rosh Chodesh, since women, just like women, got the schar of the Yontif of Rosh Chodesh because of their mitzvah of resisting the Egel and of giving to the Mishkan. So too, says the Taz, women got an extra, an extra aspect of Hanukkah, the aspect of refraining from Malacha while the Neiris are burning, because of the great uh, heroism of, of Yehudis, who killed, uh, the, who killed the enemy, the enemy leader, and thereby brought about a uh, Chua Gedola and a Porkan to the, to the Jewish people.